This is the Journey 66 Book Writing Podcast. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are your road trip advisors. You may be at mile marker one and just thinking about an idea for a book, or maybe you've gone off-road in your writing and you want to restart the journey. Join Dave and me as we help you buckle up and write. Discipline is an uncomfortable word. Most of us would like a bit more or maybe a lot more discipline in our lives. I know my husband wants me to be more disciplined in areas of my life. Maybe we aspire to be more disciplined in our eating or with our exercising or maybe in the way that we talk to our spouse or our children. There's lots of areas where we need discipline in our lives. Writing is always associated with the word discipline too, because if you can't discipline yourself to write, you won't write that blog or that article or a book. Too often though, only one model of writing discipline is held up as valid, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But there are at least six writing discipline models. Today we want to identify those six models and ask you which one or combination of models is best for you right now. But before we dive into the morass of discipline, let's start with some progress. Dave, where have you made progress? Have you been disciplined in any area of your life this week? Absolutely not. (laughs) I doubt that. So I write handwritten notes. And I got into that discipline about 20 years ago. I try to write between four and 500 a year. Wow, that's a lot. It is a lot. But it's really important to build relationships in an age of email and text and, and, and even phone is kind of going by the wayside, right? I mean, how many times do you pick up your phone right. and if, if a call comes in? So I've developed this discipline. So I had in the back of my head that I needed to write these six notes. And these were people who had referred me people for a project that I was working on, a, a qualitative study that I was working on. I just needed to thank them And I was giving them each a $200 gift card. Wow, that's significant. It was. It's a significant chunk of money. And I just kept kicking the can down the road. So this morning I did it. I I whipped out six notes and put in that $200 Amazon card. And now I'm done. So I feel like I've made huge progress. The thing I like about that story is we always dread those things that we need more discipline in. But as soon as we tackle the insurmountable or the thing that we know we ought to be doing or the thing we want to be better at doing, we always feel so much better afterwards. I think we need to focus on the emotion maybe to help us to get to do those things, like the emotion of what it will feel like to be done with those six notes. Right. And with book writing, the emotion of what it's going to feel like to have completed 1,500, 3,000 words after you sit down for a period of time to write. That's a good feeling. So going into it, you have all this dread, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But there's definitely emotion associated with doing something. Great emotion. That's a great point. So where have you made progress? Well, mine has to do with the emotion of doing something that I don't want to do, and that's working out. I, I like the idea of working out because I like the idea of getting stronger, my clothing fitting better. And I've talked about Orange Theory, and I just completed my first full month. I think I'm in on week five of going two times a week. So that feels like a huge accomplishment. I've gone every week. I haven't skipped. I've made sure that I've made my workouts, and I've thrown myself fully into the workouts. And I think it was last week I put on a pair of shorts. I'm like, these fit very differently than they did even a month ago. And I didn't get into Orange Theory with the expectation that I would lose weight. I thought that I might lose weight, but 
that wasn't my objective, but it is really nice for things to be fitting looser because after COVID, I know that I put on weight. I don't weigh myself, but based on my clothing, I knew that I had been putting on some weight and I was feeling sluggish and just not like myself. Progress is showing up and seeing the results. And think about Orange Theory, if you've heard about it, it's just a really intense one hour workout. And I always go in with so much anxiety, like, how am I going to be able to do this? Wonder if I can't push through the pain, but you always do. And you always come out feeling so proud. It's yeah. a different emotion. It's probably pride. Like I did something really hard and I feel great about myself. The emotion that you had with note cards is maybe relief and just like having it behind you. And mine is like, I accomplished something. So I think whenever you commit yourself to a discipline, there is an emotional payoff. The other thing is not only are you losing weight, I don't know that you are, or you aren't, right. that's not my, any of my business, but my guess is that things are fitting better because your body is changing. Because of the, yeah, because there is a weight implement to they you lift weights between 20 and 30 minutes. So you are working on developing muscle mass, not just expending aerobic energy, which is awesome. <laughs> wow. Well, congratulations. Yeah. That, that's huge. Do you think you'll continue yeah, doing it? I think I will. And I think I may actually up my membership so I can go more than twice a week, especially as winter creeps in and it's more difficult to get outside to exercise. I think at least for a period I may do the five times a week and see how that goes. But I'm trying to just, I, my strategy was to not overcommit so I didn't feel overwhelmed. So I think for anybody that's going to try it out, start with two days a week and just feel it out. <laughs> that's good strategy yeah, for, right? for writing, I think as well. Yeah, absolutely. Everything goes back to writing on Everything this Everything goes back to writing. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> like, that's right. I think we talked last week about doing something small first to have small successes. Yeah, so if yeah. you missed that episode, you should go back and listen to it. But this week, we are talking about something related, and that is the models of writing, how people actually get writing done. And there isn't just one model, as we said earlier. There are multiple models and multiple ways of getting your work done and your book written. And we want to demystify this belief that there's only one way to write. And so let's talk about the typical way book writing coaches and book writing communities and online articles say that you should write a book. What is that one preferred model? That's the first model that we're going to talk about. It's the early riser or late night model. Usually it's the early riser. It's the person who gets up at five or 4.30 and starts writing at five and is done by eight o'clock, takes a shower and is at work by nine, right? And it's the one that's held up, I think, as the model. And if you're going to be a writer, you have to have that level of discipline. But the truth is, a lot of us don't get up that early. I get up early in the morning, but I don't get up early to write. I just have never been able to get up that early and write. I've been able to get up and work out. That's hard. Right. But to sit down and write has never been my model. But I did the late night model. So this model really is this idea of doing it regularly at a specific time. I did it when I wrote Death by Suburb. Once I got the contract, I had to I had to complete this thing within a year. At that time, Jan and I had, I think, three kids. We now have four, but we had three kids. And I I, I had to write from either 9 or 9.30 at night until midnight. Wow, that's a commitment. I was exhausted. I was running a business and I was trying to do all this. But it was the only time that I could could write. So I almost hesitate to use my example for this because it implies that you know, I'm that disciplined. It just happened to be I had the contract. I had to get it done. But that early riser model is just one model, and it's not for everyone. 
Why do you think that that is what people default to? Why the early rise model? I mean, I think it's partly because it's the idea that it's before the distractions of the day kind of start to seep into your life. And so if you get up before the phone starts ringing or emails start to ping you or the kids start asking you for things, you're more likely to get it, get it done. Or you may be too exhausted to do it at the end of the night. So that's why they say early in the morning. But what are your thoughts on that? Why do you think they say get up early if you want to write that book? I think it's the easy default thing to say. All the podcasts say that on discipline and I get up at 4 a.m. and I, you know, the Navy SEALs interview and which is fine. There's no doubt that there's a, there's a slice of people that do that and, and more, more power to them. My dad is someone who gets, he, he wakes up about 4.30, quarter to five. Wow. He's just disciplined part, in part because he gets up at that time and he'll read at that time. He doesn't write, but he reads. He's 87 years old. He just turned 87. So I think it's the model because it's one, you hear it so often. Right. I guess that's the reason. It's the, it's the model, but it's not the model. We got five other models here. Well, you hear that with exercising too, when you're when you're being told to start up a new discipline with exercising, it's like, get up early and get it out of the way. So I think that is just our cultural default is to get up early and get it out of the way. But I think the principle of this early bird or night owl model is that you're doing it when it's not in the midst of your daily grind, right? You're, you're setting aside a time when you're not going to be interrupted by all those daily tasks. So you're going to be able to have a little bit more solitude. You're not going to have the kids that are going to be in bed or that you're not going to have the email from your boss because he's in bed or, you know, not going yet in the morning. So I think that that's that you want to separate yourself from the dailiness of life to get it, get it done. I guess I just need to back up and say, I'm not saying that it's a, it's a bad model. It's just the one that's held up. It's an important model and some people can write like that and, and more power to you if you can do it, but it's not the only model. I like this next model because I think it's totally opposite of that first model, and it is the toilet seat model. Do you want to tell people where we got that? The toilet seat model, this comes from one of our podcast interviewees, Karen Rivadinera, and she would take her laptop into the bathroom, put her child in the tub, and crank out sentences for her book while seated on her toilet seat. And that's what we call it, the toilet seat model. So this is a you-fit-it-in-where-you-can model in the seams of your life. And I am doing this right now as I work on a new book. Sometimes I'll take a little lunch break and, and work on it, or I'll, I'll just open up a file for 15 minutes because a thought came into my mind. But the toilet seat model is a real world model. I love that because you're not waiting for a perfect time to write. I think that we all have this idea that there's going to be a perfect time. And often there isn't. Even late at night, you could be so exhausted that you decide, eh, I'm not going to write. So what I like about this is you, you do it when you have the energy, you have the idea, when you have the moment and you don't put it off, you don't delay. I think there's such power in not putting something off and taking the opportunity when you have it. All right. We've got two models. Yeah. I, I do like it when you said we're not professional writers and whose sole job is to write. So if that's your profession, you're going to have probably more time in your life to write. Well, you should be writing at least eight to five if you're <laughs> right. a professional writer or whatever the time is. Yeah. So this model is really for ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things, which is writing a book amidst all of the chaos that life presents. So if you're one of those people, you are amazing. <laughs> And you're like most of the rest of us, right? Right. Writing in the seams of your life. 
All right. So the third model is the chunker model. The chunker model. So this comes from one of our road trippers, George. Now he writes only on Fridays and he writes from eight to noon. So this is not an everyday discipline. It's like a weekly discipline, but it's in a chunk. I think that, again, it comes to it not being so overwhelming if you're only doing it once a week versus every day of the week or five days a week at an hour at a time. It feels like you can really carve out that time and protect it. And when it's a weekly thing, you're not going to schedule in a lunch date with your friend or go to the gym at that time because that is your time to write. So there is something to be said about having a dedicated time that you have set aside every day of the week. Maybe it's not Fridays, maybe it's Saturdays or Sundays or Mondays, whenever you have the most energy and the best time to do so when you have the least amount of interruptions typically. I remember another one of our road trippers, Kathy, talked about this, and I think we've mentioned this on an earlier podcast or a previous podcast. It's the idea of when you put that chunk into your calendar, you honor it. So it's almost like another mini discipline on top of the discipline, which is you put it in your calendar and you honor it just like you would a dinner date, a lunch date, an appointment with a client, you honor it. The chunk thing thing only works if you have that other discipline to to make sure you do it every week from eight to noon. That is such an important piece of the chunker model. All right, so that's three models. What is the fourth model? Fourth model is the retreat model. And sometimes you have to break up the routine of your life and to get away to jumpstart your writing or create some new momentum in your writing. Yeah, I had a friend who did this over spring break or around spring break. Her sister-in-law was going out of town on an extended vacation, and she has this really beautiful condominium overlooking a lake. And it was about an hour away from her home. And her sister-in-law said, hey, do you want to use the house to get away? And my friend jumped on that. And so she would drive up there every day. A couple times, I think she spent the night. And she had a quiet house away from her routine away from taking care of her family, doing meals, just all the other distractions that come from trying to write at home. And she made significant headway on her book. So when we talk about retreats, it doesn't have to be one that you pay for while that is a valid model. You could simply see if a friend has a home that they're not using when they're on vacation. Maybe you can then retreat to that that place like my friend did, or you can go to the beach and get a hotel and spend some time there by yourself. We actually recommended this to one of our, our authors last week as he gets closer to his deadline to actually take a week by himself to go somewhere beautiful but quiet where he could dedicate himself to getting a significant chunk of work done. And that had to do with the crafting after he has completed all 10 or 12 chapters. So once you've written that first, it's not really the first draft, but it's you think it's ready to go to the publisher or to the printer, wherever however you're getting the book published, is to take an extra chunk of time, a significant chunk of time, like a week, and just craft it. Because if in his case, it's his life's work. He needs to slow down. He needs space. And at this point in the process, it's great because he can read something, add a sentence, create a better verb. He can do all sorts of things that will really take his writing and, and make it his life's work. So this idea of a week or two days, or even a single day is so important. The retreat model, I think, is really important. 
I'm wondering, as you say that, Dave, if there is some value in identifying what you want to accomplish on these retreats or even on your weekly commitment to writing, if it's a Friday that you show up, if it would be a good idea to say, I want to accomplish this this week, or I want to accomplish this on my writing retreat. And it may not turn out that way, but at least you go in with an objective. So you're not just kind of wandering it's about. It's like a mini goal that you set. Yeah. So often in the past, when I used to ghostwrite a lot, I would, I'll take like two days, I'll block off my calendar. I've got to get these three chapters done. And then I would go into like, I'll go into a Panera and you think, well, that's busy and crazy, but I'll do it. No, that's a, it's a ways from my house. Maybe it's 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and I'll sit there all day. Now I don't sit there all day. I should say, I don't sit there all day. I'll write for, you know, 15, not 15. I'll write for an hour to an hour and a half. I'll get up and walk. And so that alternating between walking and writing and then grabbing something to eat and then writing again, then drinking something, it has this, it has this ability to not just, get, not just get more stuff, but your thinking improves. I think it does. And I want to make this point that some of my best thinking happens when I'm in those seams between writing. And then my writing is so much better if I actually take a break, like I need to go shower. And then I'm like having this epiphany in the shower, like, oh, that's where I need to go with this chapter. You always tell us to go take walks outside and the walk, you know, generates some thoughts. I'm like, yes, that's where I was stuck. And this is how I can get unstuck. Whatever your writing model is, even if it's like a four hour chunk of time, don't just stay stuck in your seat, get up and Take a breather, get a glass of water, go outside, do something to break it up. And I think you'll have renewed energy around your writing if you take those little breaks in between. Don't you say like you do 90 minute sprints? Was that, who was that, that talked about the energy project? Yeah, the energy project. What was his name? Tony Schwartz. Schwartz. Yeah, Yeah, he was the guy who was the ghostwriter for President Trump's book, The Art of the Deal. Oh, really? Yeah, he has this whole Twitter thing where he regrets all that during the Trump presidency. He was screaming about that. But he had this, this idea of writing a 90-minute segment. So he'd write 90 minutes, take a break, maybe a 30-minute break. But he'd do or three or four of those back-to-back. He'd have a day, right? So yeah. the important thing, I think, is, is, that, is that extended time. And no matter how you use that time while you're in that extended time, there's different ways to do that. I just remember, I forget who we talked to who had spent, she had spent a lot of money, like 10 grand to go off to a beautiful place in the West. Oh, right. Uh-huh. And one of the, there were a couple promises. One was, we'll connect you with a book agent. Mm-hmm. But the other one was these luxurious chef on-premise meals <laughs> with other writers in this beautiful location. So, you'd, you know, there'd be some teaching and it was very um, soft, in my opinion, in terms of getting stuff done. But it had, in a sense, that creative space for new ideas to flourish. I don't know how much writing she got done there. And I don't even know if she did well with a book agent, but I do know that it, it, it really helped inspire her. And it, it, I don't know if she'd say it was worthwhile or not. It was a chunk of money. You obviously get writer's retreats for a lot less than that. Sometimes you, you want to do that and you have a specific purpose in mind. And if that's true, then you need to do that. Yeah, I think we interviewed somebody on this topic and they said, when you go to a writer's retreat, I'm trying to remember, maybe it was Karn, I don't remember, but the idea is you need to really identify what you're hoping to get out of the the writers conference workshop because there are so many different ways that you could go when you're at these especially the bigger conferences so what do you want to accomplish while you're there is it to, to connect to an agent is it to learn about 
the craft of writing? Is it to have space to actually work on your writing and get peer review? There's something beneficial to all of those things, but you need to really go in, I think, with a goal. I think that that's a really smart advice that somebody passed on to us. So our fifth model is really goal-oriented, and that is the word count model. And this came from Laura Lee Craker, whom we interviewed. She's an author, written multiple books. And her model for writing is she writes 1,500 words a day, six days a week. I think she takes off Sunday. But she doesn't even specifically write for a book. She just makes sure that she is writing. Sometimes it's for her book. Sometimes it's for an article she's working on. Sometimes it's just a general idea. But she writes every single day and she tries to write 1,500 words. Sometimes she struggles to get to the 1,500 words. Other times she writes beyond the 1,500 words. But the idea is that she is writing. And every time that you're writing, you're thinking, you're improving your craft, you just get momentum for the next time you come back to writing. That's how good ideas develop, is in the trenches like that. It's, it's a good model, and I think uh, the word count model is a definitely a good model, and, and it needs to be combined with probably something else, <laughs> like a chunk you know, a week or you know, some other writing discipline. But having that, that specific tactical goal can really help give you momentum. All right. What is our final model, Dave? So our final <laughs> model is the I've got a book contract model. It's the old crap model. It's the old <laughs> crap model. <laughs> I actually have to get this book done and nobody's going to do it for me but me. Urgency is, is basically what we're talking about. Sometimes we just had an author who landed a book deal and we are in the middle of coaching him. And so all of a sudden there's a sense of urgency that he did not have before. And that can put a lot of kind of pr different kinds of pressure on you because often these deadlines are, are pretty serious by the publisher. And in the contract, there might be you're this amount late and then they can make the decision not to publish it. That's not always true, but um, sometimes there's clauses in there that you have to deliver by a certain date. So if you've just landed a, a book contract or let's say that you're going to self-publish and there's a conference coming up and you want to have that book in hand before that conference. All of a sudden, you've got a sense of urgency. That's, so that's a different kind of writing model. This is probably a combination of the chunk model, the daily model, the word count model. <laughs> uh, I mean, you're going to have to sacrifice other things in your life. And all, you have to reorder your priorities, right? So this is completely different from the person who's doing this in the seams of his or her life. Right. That's probably the one model that doesn't pertain to this model. I think it would be helpful if when you're in this space, you realize this is a short period of time relative to the rest of my life. It's not going to last forever. I'm not going to have to sacrifice doing these other things that I really enjoy doing for the rest of my life. But I am going to have to sacrifice to get this book done. I may have to sacrifice some relationships. I may have to sacrifice some activities, whatever it is. Maybe you have to take extra vacation time from your work just to get it done. But the point is you're going to have to make some sacrifices, but it won't last forever. And you're going to feel so good like you did after you wrote those notes when you finish that last chapter. <laughs> the emotion is real and it's really positive. This reminds me of my friend Steve. We interviewed him on, on Acts, the four ways to think about a story. What is it? Action, character, talking, and setting. Setting, yep. But Steve is completing a PhD right now. So he and I have done a, a fly fishing podcast well, it will be, gosh, it'll be six years, but we took off this last year because he had to get this PhD thesis written because there's a deadline. Well, his life, I, I barely ever hear from him. I mean, he's got his head down. 
He's writing every day. He's got a full-time job. He's a pastor and he's working on this linguistics PhD. And I talked to him the other day and he wasn't discouraged, but he was, you could tell he was rolling his eyes, even though I couldn't see his eyes rolling because <laughs> we were talking by phone. But his PhD advisor, it's out of, he's doing it out of a university in South Africa. His PhD advisor had asked him to add another section. So instead of being done September 1st, which is a couple of days, it's going to be October 1st and his deadline hasn't been moved. And that's, I think, October 15th. So when you have those kind of writing deadlines, mm -hmm. suddenly you do have to shift your priorities. The family can't be number one. You have to sacrifice family. You have to sacrifice church or you have to, whatever it is you have to sacrifice, you have to make those sacrifices. Yeah. And it does feel never ending. I know Steve must be feeling like, is this ever going to end? I remember when I was in graduate school and writing papers all the time, or when I was an undergraduate and I did my honors thesis and thinking, I am going to be working on this piece forever and ever and ever. And I remember just always visualizing the semester ending and like, it's not always going to be like this. I will be done with this project eventually. And, and I would, you know, you'd finish it, you'd turn it in and there's this huge relief. So I think it's so important to just remember, again, it's not going to last for forever. You're going to see light again. You're going to have that relief and it's going to be so satisfying. Do you remember when you finished your last chapter, put the period to that last sentence before you started revisions, but when you were done writing the meat of the book? I do remember that. That was one great emotion. The other one was when I got what are called the first offs. So when the books come to you before it's been released, you get like a box of books. And so you're opening that box of books and you're seeing and holding that book for the first time. It is such an unbelievable emotion. It's incredible. It's incredible emotion. In fact, maybe the takeaway is not the six models today, but the emotion that you feel once you've implemented a model and gotten the book or the blog or the article done. Right, right. I felt that same thing when I've had an article published in a magazine and you get the magazine in the mail and you open it up and you see your name on the article and you read the words and you see it with the pictures. And it's just, it's such an incredible feeling. And you really feel like you've accomplished something that so many people in this world have not accomplished. And you look back on the nights that you were up late, that other people were binge watching a television show or in bed, or you look back on those nights when you just couldn't get yourself to the computer, but you did, or you got up early, or you sacrificed time with your friends. I, it, it makes it all worth it when you see your name with the words that you wrote. There is something really wonderful about print because yes. there's deadlines that are different in kind from just posting a blog or a white paper online. Because when you, like when I would get a, like if I published an article and I got the magazine, I would read, I would do exactly what you did. I'd, I'd open it up, see the images. I'd read it once, read it again. I'd find myself reading it 10 times and I'd almost obsess over it. Just this, there's something so wonderfully satisfying about print. And a book is that. A book is, a book that, is that tangible, yeah. physical thing that you can have in your hand. Yeah. We got to do a podcast on that. The mystical elements of having a book in hand yeah. or something, your print in hand and not just a digital medium. It, it, there's something that will never, the digital will never take away from that. Well, which model are you going to implement? Are you going to continue to do the toilet seat model? I think that's it for me. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. <laughs>
So I'm excited about our words of the episode. You shared yours first, and then I came up with mine, and they're both verbs, and I think they're great action words. So I will share mine first, and mine is shambling, S-H-A-M-B-L-I-N-G. And it's one of those that kind of evokes a feeling, even if you don't know what it means. So I'm going to tell you what it means, and you can see if that is what you had in mind when you heard the word. It means moving with a slow, shuffling, awkward gait or you're walking with a slow dragging motion without lifting your feet. And it's kind of like hobbling. And my husband just had knee surgery last week and he's been walking, but actually I'd call it, he's been shambling down the street. What a great verb, shambling. Shambling. To shamble? To shamble. Yeah, to shamble. I I think it's great. I'd never heard it before. I came across it and I'm going to try to use it. It's It's a great word to describe that awkward movement that you see so many people who don't lift their feet or, you know, maybe a little tired or maybe they've had surgery, whatever it is, you can totally picture it. It's so much better than moving awkwardly. Again, moving awkwardly. You have two words. You can say it much better than one. He shambled or he was shambling or he shambled down the road. When I think of shambling, I think of in shambles, which means falling apart, right? So Immediately when I thought of shambling, it felt like there was some deterioration. And there's a sense of that, you know, if you're dragging motion, you're not in your full form. So again, one of those words that the connotation is is strong. All right, Dave, what's your word? So I have another fun word. Mine is slank. That is a good one. Slank, to slank. So I'm listening to The Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. And I read that many, many years ago. In fact, I may have read it twice. Cormac McCarthy is one of my favorite writers, and, and he's, it's, in, it's set in the southwest, southern New Mexico, um, northern Mexico, and it's, it's, it's a little bit of a coming-of-age story, so this kid is crossing. But anyway, they come across this village, and it had, all the people had been murdered in the village, and there's blood running in the streets, and that's why the name, the Blood Marinian. And he's talking about the wolves, and the, he talked something to the effect the wolves slank in the car- courtyard where the blood flowed. And the word slank means to move or go in a furtive, abject manner, like from fear or cowardice or shame, but it also can to walk or move in a slow, sinuous, provocative way. Yeah, can you imagine if you said the wolves moved in a slow, sinuous, provocative way? Again, it's one word that means all of those things. Slank. And I think that people maybe confuse it with slinky or slank. I mean, when I first, I'm like, I feel like I know that word, but I don't. (laughs) When I heard it, I thought, is that even a verb? Slank. He used another one in a sentence right after that to sleer. The rocks sleared. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I don't know that one. I didn't know that one. And I looked it up and I don't think I still know it. I'm not even sure it's a verb. The rocks sleared. Is that a verb? You're looking it up as we speak here. Yeah, I I am. I'm looking it up. Let's see. Sleer. Mock. Sneer. So he's personifying the rocks. The rocks sneered. They mocked. So anyway, Cormac is is the master of that. His whole book is those kinds of words that you've kind of heard, think you know what they are, but you really don't. And they're all short. He uses short sentences. And there's a reason he was, I think he won the National Book Award. I don't know if it was for that one or for... Crossing to Safety, another one. Or All the Pretty Horses, I think he won the National Book Award for. Hey, I want to share this one thing. 
and it is the New York Times is implementing this vocabulary strengthening activity for high school students where they have an activity a week to help them strengthen their vocabulary. And one of them is to read a New York Times article and to identify a new word that they didn't know. I, I think that's so great because when you see words in context like slank or sleer <laughs> or shamble, you don't always stop and look look it up. And so, but when you see it in context, you understand it, what it means a little bit better and you remember it. Anyway, you may go take a look at that if you have a high school student and are listening to this. Are we shambling to the end of this episode or galloping or? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're doing more than shambling. I think we're galloping. I think galloping strongly. Oh, no, don't use, don't the use that. Don't, don't use the adverb. Okay. All right. So, Dave, how about you tell us a little bit about what's on our site, what people can find on our site, how they can connect with us? We'd love for you to jump on Journey 66. Uh, you can just go to Journey and then the two numbers, 66.com, journey66.com, or you can go to Journey 60, where 60 is written out, and then just the final numeral, journey66.com. We have a great quiz there. We'd love for you to take the quiz. We say take the quiz and, and make a thousand miles of progress. It's for those of you who have an idea and you want to shape that idea. But we have a lot of different resources on the site. So jump on the site. You can also sign up for our weekly tip of the week. We do a weekly email in which often I will write a piece on flashbacks or how to create tension or how to shorten your sentences, all basic, strong stuff on writing. That's such a great asset. You don't have to go back to college. You just have to sign up for the tipster. That's right. That's, we're trying to make it easy for you. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be a great writer if you sign up for that. All right. Well, I'm feeling more disciplined having just talked about discipline. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I want the emotion of accomplishment. My gosh, that's that's what I crave. That is why we focus on progress, right? Because there is something about making progress, the emotion of doing something and, and seeing the past behind you and the future ahead of you. So, all right. All right that's another episode. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write. 